We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. A story from 1964 talking about the divide as well as using this level of symbolism. Let's talk about what it all means today. Coming up. Boys and girls. There's got to be a song, right? Boys and girls we can use. Something like <laughs> I'm Crypto. And I am Una. And if you guys are new here, welcome. We talk about literature in a conversational way. So let's have some fun today. First question I have for you, Mr. Crypto. We are doing Boys and Girls by Alice Munro. That's what we read, right? Yes. <laughs> all right. So the first question is, who is our narrator? So our narrator is Flora, and she is an 11-year-old girl, and she is going through the journey of life, and she's realizing as she's going through her journey that there's all these gender stereotypes and norms that are being placed on her, and it kind of breaks her heart a little bit because she doesn't realize that that's how life is supposed to go, and she's questioning things of why is it happening this way. That's a great summary, but Flora was the horse. <laughs> I don't think that's the main character. Uh, the I main character is this. Is, no, no, that's the horse's name. Flora is a young 11-year-old girl that's not named. Yeah, because that's important to her brother's name later. Dang it. I, uh, I don't know why I associated. Well, I mean, that is the female horse, right? Oh, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go through what It's happened. the slaughter of her identity. That's what it is <laughs> when they kill the horse. <laughs> <laughs> let's go through kind of like a plot recap. Let's make sure we're on the same page here, and then let's kind of talk some more about the analysis here. Or even on the same story, because obviously I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> So on a farm, our narrator grows up and tells us the story of how her father was a fox pelter, where he'd raise young foxes, kill them, and cut off their fur for profit. Now, Henry Bailey, a hired hand, even, even teased her with dead foxes. The kids were frequently afraid of night, but not of the outside, of the inside, and made up stories and sang songs to help distract them. As the narrator and her brother grew up, they'd take care of the pen, mow the grass, and even feed the foxes horse meat to help out. The narrator much preferred these tasks to helping her mother in the kitchen. One day, her father introduces her as the new hired hand, and she was so proud, even though the salesman thought of her as only just a girl, until he learned of this news. Mm. Her mother continues to make comments that she looks forward to Laird, the brother, growing up to be of real help, and the narrator would help her mother more in the kitchen. One day, they got a pair of horses <laughs> to feed the foxes, Flora and Mac, each with their own personality. The narrator never saw uh, where they shot the horses, nor knew how to do such things as shoot a gun. So Laird and the narrator decide to sneak in and watch the horses be shot this time. The narrator was shaken slightly, but covered it up as they went off to see if any new kittens had been born in the barn. As the narrator grows up, she begins combing her hair and wondering if she'll be pretty when she grows up. One day, Flora the horse gets away from Henry, and the narrator has a chance at stopping her, but she doesn't. 
even though she knows the horse will be caught. The father is told what the narrator had done, but dismisses her as she's just a foolish little girl. And the narrator wonders if he is right. Shocking that this was written in 1964. I, I, I gotta say, I gotta say, it's very forward for 1964. Very forward thinking. I think that Alice was trying to really hammer home a, a point here of, do we have to believe that these are the stereotypes that are put on us, especially maybe sometimes yeah. by our parents, not just yeah. society? And to be fair, I mean, when this came out, much more of a conversational shocking piece than it is today. Today, it's it's like an accepted fact that, may, well, I guess many cultures are working towards that, you know, do we have to have these pressures put on our kids and our children to behave certain ways, to fulfill certain roles? And we're approaching kind of a society where we're promoting people to pursue their own happiness, pursue their own personality, rather than necessarily what society says, this is the role for you because of your gender, per se. I love this story because I think it's still very relevant today in some regards of people placing those traditional gender stereotypes on individuals. And we see that very clearly in the story in many regards, uh, but I think it's still a very relevant conversation. So the story starts out with the narrator and her brother sharing rooms, which I think there's a lot of symbolism in the story. I don't know how you feel. I thought we'd walk through some of them today. But when it comes to kids, right, we grow up, I don't know how you and your sister grew up, I shared a room with my, one of my sisters, right, the oldest sister, I had two sisters, the oldest one got her own room, right, because she was of age. But the middle sister and I, the two youngest, we shared a room for a long time. And I think this kind of speaks to how there's not that divide or that privacy or that difference in gender at this point in time as they're growing up. And even the house they describe as, at this time, upstairs of our house, was not finished. And I think that's maybe the same way that we can think about these children and their maturity in terms of their gender roles is society hasn't imprinted upon them what their expectations are yet. Same thing growing up. I did share a room with my sister many times. I don't know if it was a lot of times just because though we didn't have the room, like we were in a small house or small apartment. Mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. I definitely know that as we became of age, it was more you know, ideal that, hey, we needed our own separate space because we are definitely not the same anymore in, in a lot of regards as a, a boy and a girl. Right. And to me, these two kids were interesting because what were they afraid of? Right. There's that quote where they're talking about they weren't afraid of the outside. Right. They were afraid of what was inside the room. It's kind of like that lurking danger of uh, what are we going to become or what are the things that are going to be forced upon us in a sense. And for here, when I kind of thought about that of at a young age, we're all scared of everything, right? And we, we bond together to try to, you know, have those numbers to to protect each other. And I know that I've, I've talked to my wife before that, you know, if I'm not here, she's sometimes a little bit more scared than when I am. And mm -hmm. I am rarely, you know, I get scared when I'm by myself. Uh, I, I like being by myself. Uh, and I wonder if that is kind of those traditional, you know, stereotypes put on of being a little bit more fearful or not. I mean, it's kind of a conversation, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I would think that, you know, when you look at this little girl, she had dreams, right, of being the hero of saving buildings from fire. Like she was active. She was participating in her fate. Right. She was writing the own end of her own story, per se. And, you know, moving on to the father. OK, so that's the kids. The father was a fox pelter. Right. A, a little on the nose. If we're going to talk about uh, surface versus interior values here, 
that the father is only dealing with the skin, like the fur of the animal. He throws away the insides, not paying attention to what's on the inside. In the same way, maybe he doesn't see the inside of his daughter. Outward appearance is the only thing that matters to him. What, you know, the the internal of an individual, no, that's not important. So, yeah, that's kind of heartbreaking. And, you know, it's, oh, that's dad. You know, he's tough. Yeah, well, and then... He was, he had a role, right? Like his job was to cage these foxes, to raise them to a specific purpose. And I don't know if we're supposed to just take that directly as like kind of like the kid metaphor, but they did have that line where they talk about each of them had a real door that a man could go through. And I think I would normally just gloss over this, like, but the fact that Alice Munro made sure not to call it a person or one, like she called it man in a story that's very gender driven, it made me think that she might've been kind of evoking these feelings that only men can, you know, open that door for people for how they behave in a sense, almost like they're putting on the rules of society. It might be one way to interpret that line. And the way I kind of interpret it was that the man is the provider and that the wife is the one that is delegated to to the kitchen or delegated to the housework, because then in another instance in the story, the the mom was like, oh, don't worry, you're going to have help, real help eventually when Laird becomes of age and saying, you know, I can't wait until my son is a man and he can go help his father and my daughter is of age to help me in the house and do the housework. So they, they set that up, I think, very, very clearly. It's so sad, right? Like to be to be told that you're not real help, you know, like you saw the joy that she got when she was introduced to the salesman as her new hired help, right? Like she was excited to fulfill that role because that's what made her happy. She didn't want to be stuck in the kitchen with her mom. That's what her parents' role was being thrust upon them. And I think the context of this story, not just the 1960s and the references to the past and how things have kind of always been, but I think that even reading it nowadays in 2022, it is what you take it because I think what if we we switched all of this? Would we still feel the same way? How much of yourself are you bringing to this story of our own ideas of what is gender, gender identity, gender roles? What should they be? Have we broken the norm enough? Are we far enough away from this point in time? I, I wonder, what do you think if we flip the roles of the, the story? Well, and then you ask some big questions of are we better than where we were before? And I think that comes to a culture by culture basis, right? Like, you know, depending on where you are out there, viewer, based on your where you live and your area, I, I don't even think it's the same story within the United States. I think there are some areas that might be a little bit more progressive versus some other areas where, you know, even depending on how many people might live in that town, there's different roles people are expected to play and different expectations put upon them. And particularly with some cultures where, you know, legally there's still divide over what men and women can do in many areas, right? So um, are we 100% equal? No. Is 100% equal the goal? I, I don't know if that's what the story is trying to say, right? I think the story is trying to say something about the happiness of this girl. I think I think Alice Monroe writes it so that we see inside this narrator that she's kind of exploring these things of here's the things she wants to do. And then here's the things that society expects that she should do or should want to do in a sense. I would agree with that. I mean, I think that the cornerstone is the idea of feminine gender roles and identity in what they're going to be in our society. And that maybe the little girl questioning, is he right? But 
Could she have the thought right afterwards? We don't know. Maybe she questions, is my father wrong? Can I be the hunter too and be just like him? And maybe that's why she leaves it kind of on a cliffhanger. Right, right. And I think some people, I, I think they get that, but I think Alice Monroe, what's interesting about this story is that this theme kind of cascades through the whole thing. Like, wouldn't you say like the horses have difference in how they act? The grandmother, the mother, like they all... Um, I mean, to use the term nag, they nag the narrator to behave specific ways. Like even in the animal kingdom, there's there Monroe is pointing out that there are expectations even outside of like human created norms per se. Yeah, I mean, it's almost kind of naturalistic a little bit with the element of the horses thrown in there. I also like the idea that she named their brother Laird, which I think is Irish or Scottish. I don't remember for uh, Lord. And kind of, you know, giving the brother the, the name of what many people refer to as a god. That's that's uh, kind of a little slap in the face to the narrator. After my bungle at the beginning of the video, we realize the narrator doesn't even get a name. And yeah. the boy gets basically hmm. the Lord. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's a really good point. And, you know, when we look at how this impacts our unnamed narrator... You know, I, I think she starts to conform, even though we know it doesn't make her happy. I think that's kind of the ending to me is she's questioning herself, like, am I really making the right decision? Because you see, by the end, she starts putting lace up on her side of the bedroom. And it's to claim territory, like this is mine as opposed to her brother's, right? As opposed to them sharing the room, now they're dividing the room in a sense. And uh, I wonder, do you think, I don't know enough about Monroe, but I wonder if she thought these divides divided us as people. And instead of sharing territory and growing to be happy in the same way that Laird and this unnamed narrator are growing up together, that they're fighting each other for territory and, and what they ought to be doing and what's happiness and fulfilling un, unsatisfactory roles. I wonder how much of that message came through for, for what Monroe intended. You say that, you know, they're having that divide and they're finding themselves. It's interesting that it's almost like the unnamed narrator is taking her femininity and making it almost not a weapon, but she is harnessing it for herself. And she puts up, you know, lacing, this is my area. And hey, maybe we'll get uh, Alice Monroe's to uh, follow our channel or we can tweet her and we can ask her. <laughs> well, I'll say this. I can't remember what I did five minutes ago, let alone probably what I wrote. Decades ago. So Alice Monroe, hats, ago. Off to, hats off to you for a wonderful short story that was definitely catching attention for people. Published in 1964. We appreciate it. We're going to leave a link to the Alice Monroe playlist down below where we are going to already, we've already planned to do several more of our short stories. So I'm looking forward to it. Hi guys, please subscribe, hit that like button, comment down below. We post videos every Monday and Thursday and sometimes a bonus video on Tuesdays. Peace. Una out.